Ladies and gentlemen, hello again, and welcome back to Don't Worry About the Government. My name is Chris Novembrino. I am going to do a solo show today because I haven't done one of those in a while. I want to make sure I've still got my edge, and also as I put together this slate, I realize that it's massive, and... I like doing conversation shows, but sometimes, I don't know if you all have noticed this, I have a tendency to rant. And as I put together this one, I was like, no, I'm going to rant. And as polite as the guests usually are to my ranting, I didn't think it was necessarily fair to make them have to wait as I go off on Joe Biden, the Republicans, and the state of affairs in our country right now, because... It ain't great, and I think we need to have a real convo about Joe Biden during the course of this episode because his presidency is going pretty badly, and it's not just in the way the Republicans have been saying it's been going badly, nor even in the failing to accomplish certain checklists of the left, things that like weren't realistic, like Medicare for all, or even frankly, given what he said, marijuana legalization, we still need to talk about how short Joe Biden is coming up to the moment that he is currently currently facing. And uh, there's a lot to get into in this past episode or in this upcoming episode. Before I begin, real quickly, I want to start by acknowledging Robert, occasional guest on the show, Robert. Uh, I want to thank him on the air for something that I've thanked him privately for, but I I think I should mention it to all of y'all as well. So you might remember a couple of years ago at my horrible, horrible apartment complex, a very bad apartment complex, I was broken in, or my apartment was broken into, I think is the appropriate way to say that. And the bungling robbers who I was able to track down and the Dallas police did nothing about, only were able to make off with my television and my Xbox, but I was still without a TV and an Xbox in my living room. Uh, Very Beavis and Butthead Do America style problem, if you all remember that movie. And Robert uh, bailed me out. Uh, Someone gave me a TV and Robert gave me an Xbox. And that Xbox held me in real good stead. I logged probably too many hours on that Xbox here uh, since that break-in and just before uh, actually the evening of my 36th birthday the xbox dies right as i turn 36 so i took that as a sign that now that i'm no longer in the 18 to 35 demo and the video game console is down i need to pause on video games that was the sign i was trying to take and then of course the video for silk song dropped and we got to see a whole bunch of new gameplay for silk song and Well, it's going to be real hard, but in the interim, I think maybe it's good for me because it's given me the yen to get on the microphone here and talk a little bit of politics, even though as I follow politics, I'm reminded why I don't follow politics as intensely because it makes me pretty angry and there's this real sense of futility. So with with that as the preface here, how y'all doing? Let's get into the show. All right. 
the Supreme Court is going to be our first stop on the slate here. And the Supreme Court is attacking civil liberties even more aggressively than we thought. I'm always leery of slippery slope arguments and, you know, uh, well, if this happens, that happens, the domino sort of stuff. But I think it's pretty clear now that the Supreme Court is going to be a pipeline for even worse things than we can imagine. And I have a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, you know, I, I don't even No, I, I, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not even going to open up with that. Uh, let's get into some of the stuff they're going after here on this first. U.S. Supreme Court protects police from Miranda lawsuits. So this dropped just today as I, or yesterday as I'm taping this. The Supreme Court Actually, I guess it dropped today. It just was slightly confusing in the uh, heading here. Supreme Court on Thursday shielded police from the risk of paying money damages for failing to advise criminal suspects of their rights before obtaining statements later used against them in court, siding with the L.A. County Deputy Sheriff. The justice ruled or the justices ruled 6-3 in favor of Deputy Sheriff Carlos Vega, who had appealed a lower court decision reviving a lawsuit by a hospital employee named Terrace Tico, who accused the officer of violating his rights under the U.S. Constitution's Fifth Amendment protection against self-incrimination. Tico was charged with sexually assaulting a hospital patient after Vega obtained a written confession from him without first informing the suspect of his rights through the so-called Miranda warnings. Tico was acquitted at trial. The six court conservatives were in the majority in the ruling written by Samuel Alito with the three liberal members dissenting. And Sam Alito is uh, on a warpath. I, I think he is going to make Scalia seem moderate when it's all said and done here. The rights at issues were delineated in the Supreme Court a uh, landmark 1966 Miranda versus Arizona ruling that under the Fifth Amendment, police, among other things, must tell criminal suspects that their rights to remain silent and have a lawyer present during interrogations before any statements that may be used in a criminal trial. Vega was backed by Joe Biden's administration in the appeal. So part of the problem here, right, is that this war on Miranda comes from the Biden administration. At issue was whether the court's use of statements collected from suspects who have not been given a Miranda warning may give rise to a civil lawsuit under the investigating officer under a federal law that lets people use government officials or lets government people or lets people sue government officials. Jeez Louise, dyslexia. Let's people sue government officials for violating their constitutional rights. So the case is icky, right? Like this Taco guy is not someone uh, that we should be standing. And I don't know, it's pretty dubious that they're able to get a written confession from this dude for sexual assault. Like, eh, I mean, he was acquitted in court. I, I'm not necessarily uh, qualified to go into all, all the depths here, but like it's kind of an icky thing. The Biden administration did not have to back Vega in this appeal the biden administration elected to back vega and like that to me is part of the problem with the biden administration oftentimes they're confronted with do the right thing which would be stand up for miranda in this case uh you know like and actually in this case would be do nothing um which is what the biden administration generally seems predisposed to do 
or be actively bad. And unfortunately here uh, on this, the Biden administration was actively bad. They supported Vega um, and they gave Sam Alito what he needed to go after Miranda. And, and that's really the problem here. I, I, the Democrats don't really understand what they're up against, right? I think in their mind, things are fairly normal that like, you know, that, that, that maybe they would rule in favor of Vega, but they would do so in a narrow way. But guess what happens uh, when you open up the door a little bit? It's if you give a mouse a cookie, the Supreme Court's going to take the whole thing. Uh, and another story that dropped today, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association v. Bruin or Brown, maybe Bruin, Brown. I'm not really sure. B-R-U-E-N. The court ruled that states with a strict limit on carrying guns in public violate the Second Amendment. So what the Supreme Court is saying in advance of next week saying that, uh, you know, basically they can send back abortion rights to the states here is that we are going to be able to limit states' rights on deciding what gun laws should be in their state. Um, the conservative bloc did this. This is basically kind of like right on the line in terms of public opinion. Like, you know, one thing I think the New York Times is doing fairly effectively here is illustrating opinion polling on this with these rulings. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this along here. So we had the 6-3 decision, conservatives versus liberals. Um, where are the public stands on this? Requiring a person to show a need for self-protection to carry a concealed firearm does not violate the Second Amendment. Um, basically everyone, or not everyone, um, the majority does not agree on this. Um, so the Supreme Court actually, uh, it was in step with the public opinion on this. Democrats, 68% do agree with that statement. Independents, 46%, Republicans, 24%. So for a total of 47% agree with that statement. Meanwhile, 53% of the country, including 54% of independents and obviously 77% of Republicans, um, do in fact agree with the conservatives on that one. So that stinks, um, but kind of brings us into the unfortunate conversation that America is far more gun happy than we need to be. Um, but I think then maybe progressives, not, not progressives have gotten interesting on this issue, but certainly mainstream Democrats, uh, I think, think that there's more of an appetite for gun restrictions than there actually are. Unfortunately, I, I favor them, um, but I, I just don't necessarily think that that's reflected in public opinion polling uh, to my chagrin on separation of church and state. This is another close one in terms of public opinion polling in Carson v. Macon. The court ruled that a main program that excludes religious schools from a state tuition program is a violation of the free exercise of religion. <sighs> A violation of the free exercise of religion. I, I don't know about that. Feels like this is a separation of church and state issue, right? Like that the state shouldn't be giving money to a religious-based school. Where the public stands on this one, though, unfortunately, not great. Uh, 51-49. Prohibiting state funds from being used is a valid separation between church and state. Overall, the public agrees on this, but it is like the most 50-50 thing in the world. 69% of Democrats, 32% of Republicans, 50% of independents. It's like right down the middle. It's about as, they're literally mirror universes. You have 
uh, other than this uh, 101% poll that the New York Times has come up with for the Democrats, where it's 69 plus 32, which I believe equals 101. Um, beyond that, uh, not great. Uh, the conservatives win. Um, this is, I mean, I think maybe this is the big trend. So on all of these 50-50 cultural war things, the conservatives are going to win these. So the new name of the game here is going to be to get public opinion somewhere close to 50%, even if it's like 47, uh, even if it's 46, even if it's 45, that gets it close enough for the conservative majority of the Supreme Court to justify what they do. And then Alito will come in and write the most expansionist opinion on that. That's going to be the new MO of the Supreme Court. First Amendment and public forums. In Shirtliff v. Boston, the court ruled that the city of Boston had violated the First Amendment when it refused to let a private group raise a Christian flag in front of City Hall, although it had allowed many other organizations to use the flagpole to celebrate various causes. They got the liberals on board with this one. Um, what's funny is that the public opinion polling on this one is, is the other way around here. Uh, Boston's refusal to fly a private religious group did not violate the group's First Amendment rights. 56% agree with that statement. 69% of Democrats, 55% of independents, and 40% of Republicans even. Um, like, on, the, here's where the Supreme Court's really out of step. It's like, what do you do in the liberal bloc? What, like, it, this is for collegiality? Like, you're going to be really out of step with the American people for the sake of collegiality? Like, what is that going to get you in the future? Not anything. Uh, that and a buck fifty will get you a quarter of the way to a cup of coffee at Starbucks. First Amendment and censures. In Houston Community College System v. Wilson, the court ruled that elected bodies do not violate the First Amendment when they censure their members. Um, I feel like the opinion polling on this is like, I don't know that people are necessarily going to understand this, but... The public opinion on this basically says 38%. Demo I, again, I, this seems like a question that would be a little esoteric. So it's Democrats 47%, Independents 39%, Republicans 27%. Okay. Um, religion and the death penalty. In Ramirez v. Collier, the court ruled that Texas would violate a federal law protecting religious freedom if it executed death row inmates without allowing its pastor to touch him and pray aloud in the execution chamber. Um, Thomas is the one person who objected to this. So, like, Thomas, even though he's all, like, religious liberties and stuff like that and very right to life and, like, it's very much about, like, Christian dominionism, um, that we would deny a dying man, I mean, even if they're a murderer, the ability of one last human touch uh, from a man of peace on their way out, uh, that that is something that Thomas is on board with, just like letting you know how to, out of step he is, even with the court here. Uh, the public overwhelmingly agrees with this one. This, this is this is how the court should function. Fifty eight percent of the public agrees with this, including fifty six percent of Democrats, fifty nine percent of independents and fifty nine percent of Republicans. Not every issue is going to be like that. I understand this. But like the Supreme Court should basically, you know, be operating on this. Do are you saying, Chris, that the Supreme Court should reflect where public sentiment broadly is? Yeah, yeah. 
uh, this whole like we need to interpret the Constitution thing. It's all subjective. It's all subjective. Originalism is a farce. The only thing that matters is having laws that reflect society, because if you start moving laws broadly out of step with society, there will eventually be vigilantism and pushback and disorder. Um, a well-ordered society is one that has laws with that are in step with where people's opinions are. I don't actually think that that's all that controversial. And I think a Supreme Court that cares about doing the right thing in terms of justice should really be operating on that rather than these like weird understandings of the Constitution, even though, yes, I understand well, that's what's constitutionally prescripted in the document that we all have to live by for the rest of our lives. Um, I, I think that there might actually be a better way. Just throwing that one out there as a quick thought before I move on to state secrets. In the United States v. Zabadiah, or Zabida, the court ruled that the government was not required to disclose the location of a CIA black site where a detainee at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, had been tortured. Seven to, uh, seven to two on this one. Uh, and unfortunately, the public's pretty lousy at this. Like, you get tortured. I think you actually do have the right to know where that incident occurred, uh, especially for your ability to get justice for that. And you have two of the three liberals agreeing with this. Gorsuch and Sotomayor, woo, woo, good for them, are like, yeah, no, 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 you actually do have to disclose this. Um, but yeah, 72, seven to two decision. 52% of Democrats think that, uh, which is good. Independents, 48%, also good. Republicans, still really pro-torture. It's as though there's something wrong with the Republican psyche. It's very interesting. Executive privilege. In Trump v. Thompson, the court ruled that former President Donald J. Trump could not block the release of White House records into a House committee investigating the January 6th on the Capitol. It was an eight to one decision. Take a wild guess who that one opposed to this was. Uh, it was Thomas. It was Thomas because his wife is a traitor. Uh, yeah. So COVID in the workplace in National Federation of Independent Businesses versus the Department of Labor. The court found that the Biden administration's vaccine or testing mandate for large employers was not lawful. This is very disappointing, uh, especially for future pandemics. This is an undercover decision, in my opinion, as well. 50% of the public agrees that the mandate was lawful, including an overwhelming amount of Democrats. 77%. Unfortunately, only 44% of independents. Independents, what is broke in y'all's brain? And, of course, 28% of Republicans. So... The conservative bloc had a lot of public opinion cover when they came in and set up this disastrous future precedent. This is a bad one. Uh, I think National Federation of Independent Business versus Department of Labor is going to be one of those decisions that we're going to be hearing about for a while and unfortunately in the future here. In Biden v. Missouri, the court found that the Biden administration mandate to require healthcare workers at facilities receiving federal money to be vaccinated was lawful, uh, which is a relief. Um, and 
I think is a great thing that many uh, members and organizations in the healthcare industry have done um, over the last year uh, to the chagrin of these religious exemption nurses and sometimes at stress to these facilities. But I'm sorry, indulging mysticism at the risk of patients is absolutely immoral. Your mysticism stops where others' lives are threatened, plain and simple. And it is very good that the liberal bloc was joined by Roberts and surprisingly, Schlitz Malt Kavanaugh, of all people, on this one. Because um, I, 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 the, the, the precedent that your religious liberty can be so expansionary of a right that it can actually put others at risk of physical harm is a very dangerous precedent, a very, very dangerous precedent. We're still, of course, waiting on Dobbs v. Jackson, although we have a sense of what that opinion is. And unless something dramatically changes, that leaked Alito opinion is um, going to be bad. And it is not with public sentiment. Um, Roe versus Wade being overturned is something that even independents, those crazy brained independents, wild minded, they are, uh, they oppose it. Uh, 63% Democrats, 79%. This is the political red line that it will be very interesting when the Republicans cross. Uh, will this be something where independents just bend the knee and slowly that 63% reverts back to 50% or less? Or is this something that begins a real consideration by the public writ large and not just by crazy yokels in hoodies like me of the Supreme Court and the idea that this Supreme Court is out of step with where we are and that something has to be done because this is not legitimate. The reality is after this decision comes down, Dobbs v. Jackson, is going to be the start of a number of legal challenges. You're going to see women and men working hard to get women access to abortion because this is no longer conjectural. Just this week, I saw a story. I want to bring it up here because I want to put a face to this, um, a, a face to what this mysticism masquerading as morality is going to look like. So let's talk about Brooke Alexander real quickly here. So Brooke Alexander, she was 18 years old and she wanted to have an abortion. Uh, this is from the Washington Post. She found out she was pregnant 48 hours before the Texas abortion ban took effect. Brooke Alexander turned off her breast pump at 6.04 p.m. and brought two fresh bottles of milk over to a bed where her three-month-old twins lay flat on their back, red-faced and crying. Running on four hours of sleep, the 18-year-old tried to feed both babies at once, holding Kendall in her arms while she tried to get Olivia to feed herself. The baby propped up by a pillow, but the bottle kept slipping and the baby kept wailing. Brooke's boyfriend, Billy High, wouldn't be home for another five hours. Please, fussy girl, Brooke whispered. She peeked outside the room, just big enough for a full-size mattress, and realized that she had barely seen the sun all day. The windows were covered by blankets, pinned up with thumbtacks to keep the room cool, uh, just like in my place these days. 
Brooke rarely ventured into the rest of the house. Billy's dad had taken them in when her mom kicked them out, but she didn't want to get in his way. The hours with, without Billy were always the hardest. She knew where he had to go as they relied entirely on the $9.75 an hour he makes working the line at Freebird's World Burritos. But she tortured herself imagining all the girls he might be meeting. She wished she had somewhere to go to. Brooke found out that she was pregnant late at night on August 29th, two days before the Texas Heartbeat Act banned abortions once an ultrasound can detect cardiac activity around six weeks of pregnancy. It's the most restrictive abortion law to take effect in the United States in nearly 50 years. For many Texans who have needed abortion since September, the law has been a major inconvenience, forcing them to drive hundreds of miles and pay hundreds of dollars for a legal procedure they once could have had at home. But not everyone has been able to leave the state, right? Because it's about money, right? And this is how it's going to be. It's going to be about poor people not getting the same opportunities rich people get. It's going to be about two tracks of justice. It's going to be about two tracks of rights, those for the rich and those for the poor. This is a fee or a fine. And like all other fees and fines, they only matter in so far as they're actually financially onerous. Elon Musk doesn't have to worry about a traffic ticket, right? CEO of a Fortune 500 company can park anywhere he damn well pleases because the $150 parking violation is not going to keep him from being able to make rent on his one-bedroom apartment this month. He's the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. He has multiple houses. Um, just like that, this is how it's going to be with abortion. And that's why there are going to be people fighting for these women to actually have access to what these rights are. Sometimes Brooke imagines her life if she hadn't gotten pregnant and if Texas hadn't banned abortion just days after she decided that she wanted one. She decided that she wanted one. She would have been in school, rushing from her classes to her shift at Texas Roadhouse, eyes on a real estate license that would finally get her out of Corpus Crispy. Christy. She pictured an apartment in Austin with enough money for a trip to Hawaii. Oh, you're going to need more money than that. Uh, where she could swim with the dolphins in water so clear that she could see her toes. When both babies finally started eating, Brooke took out her phone and restarted the timer that had been running almost continuously since they were born. She had two and a half hours until they'd have to eat again. And that's Brooke's life. That's Brooke's life under these laws. This is the future that Republicans and conservatives and social conservatives want, which is why my little motto on Twitter is, above all else, social conservatism must be defeated. Because for all of the fecklessness and badness of the Democrats, and we're about to cover a lot of it, I think it's really important to remember that the people who want to immiserate people like Brooke are, in fact, social conservatives. The people who want to restrict trans people from getting medical procedures until the age of 21, after the age of adulthood, they can be tried as adults, but they can't get access to these procedures until three years after they're adults. What kind of madness is that? Um, these people are social conservatives. Uh, the, 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 the war is very much against social conservatism and their instrument, their broadsword is going to be the Supreme Court. School prayer 
In Kennedy v. Bremerton School District, the court will decide whether a football coach at a public high school has the constitutional right to pray at a 50-yard line after his team's games. Um, I'm guessing they're going to win this one. And then we have Biden v. Texas as well. The court will decide whether Biden administration can end a Trump-era immigration program that forces asylum seekers arriving at the southwestern border to await approval in Mexico. That is uh, real interesting because it would be a limit on executive authority if they did this, but it would be a baffling one with weird precedences. Like, right. So the office of the presidency can start a program, but the office of the presidency can't end a program that the office of the presidency can begin. If the conservatives, I mean, presumably the Trumps would, would think of this, if, if they win on this, it seems to me now, obviously, the Republican Supreme Court would never rule in favor of the Democrats on this, but it would logically follow to me that essentially all executive administration programs from here on out have essentially a weird hard to end clause attached to them now, because uh, this wouldn't, in my opinion, just be limited to an immigration program. This would be limited or this would be expanded to any number of other executive programs. Uh, it, it would be very bad if the Biden administration didn't win this one. Even it, the sword will swing both ways on this, but like you want it that way rather than the other way. Very much on this. Um, lastly, and this is going to be another important one for Native American rights, which like if anything, the... <laughs> One section of civil rights that like maybe has a glimmer of progress is Native American rights because Gorsuch has shown some receptivity to this. In Oklahoma v. Castro Huerta, after ruling that much of Oklahoma falls within Indian reservations, the court will decide whether state authorities may prosecute non-Indians who commit crimes against Indians on those reservations. Um, where the public stands in this one, states should be able to prosecute non-Native Americans who commit crimes against Native Americans on Native American land. This is interesting. Right? Like, like I kind of think, like, actually, it should fall to the Native Americans. Um, uh, well, but like, I, I'm because like the idea that Native American law only applies to Native Americans. I. I it would be, I guess, like the argument, the affirmative argument here would be like, like, I'm trying to think this one out here. The affirmative argument would be like, these are sovereign nations. And so that these people are citizens of that nation in a way that the residents of the state are not. But I think if you really are looking at the previous ruling, the issue is broader than that, which is that like the entire territory of Oklahoma that was wrongfully taken from the Native Americans, along with the rest of the country. Totally different convo here. But, like, let's at least stipulate, like, that that Oklahoma cluster very much supposed to be the Native Americans' land. It is not... It, it's not just a, like if you commit a crime in there, in the same way, like, if I go to Spain, I commit a crime in Spain, I'm subject to criminal law. 
I, I think if you're really taking Native American law seriously, uh, I think the public opinion on this is wrong, uh, it, which includes 68% of Democrats, 63% of independents, and 70% of Republicans. Uh, I, I think that the only answer here is that everyone is subject to Native American law in a serious way. And if, I mean, I, this Oklahoma will hate this, and I'm not even saying this is like a Texas versus Oklahoma culture war thing. Um, I, if you're really taking that ruling seriously, what Oklahoma is in terms of state boundaries, I think needs to be more meaningfully considered because a lot of it was illegitimately claimed. A lot of it. Um, I hope the Native Americans win on this one. I really do. Um, I, I don't want the state of Oklahoma to win. Um, no, again, not just as a Texan. Um, I, I, the, 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 it seems to me that Oklahoma really should be like broken into two states. A Native American governed state and a you know, Oklahoma state. Uh, but if you're really taking that ruling seriously, eh, I don't know. There's a case here. And frankly, for the country, I think it might not be a horrible thing to have a sanctuary place or, or a sovereign nation inside of a nation where people can have an oasis from the insanity that will be coming down from the Supreme court. Um, I don't know. That at least offers some intrigue to me. Uh, now I'm fancy booking America here, but like, it, look, I'm looking for hope anywhere I can find it. And where you ain't going to find that's with Democratic leadership and with the Biden administration. I, I got to talk about this Cuellar versus Cisneros race. So don't get too obsessed about all of the primaries, but boy, this is a microcosm of everything that is wrong with the Democratic Party in a nutshell. The rally around Henry Cuellar stuff by people like Pelosi and Clyburn is absolutely inexcusable. So let me, I, I've got a bunch of sources here. I got a little from CBS News here. Centrist Henry Cuellar has won the Democratic nomination for Texas's 28th district after a recount re requested by challenger Jessica Cisneros determined that Cuellar prevailed by merely 289 votes. His original lead had been tabulated at 281 votes, but during the recount, he picked up more votes in Jim Hogg and Starr County, the more rural and Cuellar-friendly parts of the sprawling Southern District. Cuellar's victory came amid several controversies, including an FBI investigation that led to raids of his Laredo, Texas home and campaign office, his attorney has said that the congressman is not the target of FBI investigations. Hard to really understand how that could be the case, given that his home was raided, as was his campaign office. Um, the FBI has neither confirmed or denied Cuellar's involvement to CBS News, which, frankly, in the wake of the Comey precedent, I think is indefensible. Um, I know everyone was mad that Comey disclosed. I I actually I've always been the other way on this uh, for those of you who are long timers on this and this would be another example of why I'm a long timer on this. Uh, the public actually has the right to know if someone is or isn't under investigation and here would be a really great example of the FBI saying that Cuellar is under investigation potentially moves that 281 289 votes. That might be enough cuz uh you know lord knows this is one thing Republicans don't like. It's a Democrat under investigation. Uh, and, and that might actually have given some of these donors cold feet on this. 
Cuellar also has a garbage stance on abortion, um, and that became a clear point of contrast between him and Cisneros after the draft opinion from the Supreme Court came out that would overturn Roe Ro versus Wade. Uh, Cuellar also has an A rating from the NRA, which is a big problem considering the Uvalde school shooting that happened here. Cuellar is out of step with where Democrats are nationally um, and even with where Democrats are in the state of Texas. This is not a guy that Democratic leadership should be backing up. Um, you might expect it from the Democratic political machine. Groups like the United Democracy Project, a group that's affiliated with APAC, spent at least $1.8 million against Cisneros. Boy, um, that's a lot of money to throw at Henry Cuellar. What are they getting for that? Why are they so interested in Henry Cuellar? Oh, uh, what, what could that possibly be about? Um, you had other, you had Pelosi and Clyburn appearing at campaign events for Cuellar in the closing weeks. Um, you had Pelosi doing robocalls on behalf of Cuellar. Um, beyond uh, the APAC, you also have mainstream Democrats PAC who stepped up to support Cuellar after uh, they, um, let me see here. How much did they spend? They spent $750,000 to back the incumbent after the Roe versus Wade stuff started. After they are literally paying for a anti-abortion Democrat. This is why all of the blue checks on Twitter who are like dunking on everyone who is upset about Cisneros are fucking bonkers. And, and when they are upset, about Roe versus Wade getting overturned next week, and they will be, and they will be, oh, they'll be crying. You can't do that and celebrate Cuellar beating Jessica Cisneros. I mean, just like one example here, uh, there's a show called Muller, she wrote. Bit of a throwback name. Um, their whole brand, though, is like, we're a feminist podcast. They were dunking on Bernie Sanders's tweet about Cisneros. Uh, Sanders had a staff tweet. It was kind of a pointed staff tweet, and they're all like, oh, well, maybe this is just the will of the people. Golly gee willikers, let us hope it's not. Um, and also, like, there's a lot of money that's anti-abortion being spent on this. So, like, let's also hope it's not on that front here, um, because that would be a damning indictment of where we are as the Democratic Party. But we also know that that's not true. Um, and as as though those two weren't bad enough. Um, and this is another reason why blue check Democrats should not be tap dancing for Quayar on any level. The last big spender on this is a big Trump donor known as the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, who basically always gives to Republicans. Um, even Texas Tribune labels this as a somewhat unusual move by the powerful Republican leading business group, which has previously performed, uh, which has supported centrist Democrats, but has not spent seriously on behalf of one since 2014, eight years nationally, eight years they have not spent on any Democrat. They chose Henry Cuellar, and they they teamed up with the Laredo Chamber and the Texas Association of Business to defend Cuellar against Cisneros. Um, as um, one group says, uh, or let me see here, they spent uh, $200,000 on this. And um, yeah, like this is how much got spent on this race to sabotage Jessica Cisneros. And the Democrats 
could have sat on the sidelines here and let Cuellar lose, right? Like he's an aging guy in leadership. He does not need to have support. Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders were backing Cisneros. But on the other side of that is the James Clyburn, Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer wing of the party. And, and there's just a very, very clear rift inside the party. There are good Democrats and there are bad Democrats. We'll name the good Democrats right quick. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Jessica Cisneros, if we could ever get her into Congress. Um, uh, uh, Ayanna Presley. Um, oh, golly. Uh, th and there's more. There are good members in Congress, but your most prominent ones are Warren and Sanders and Ocasio-Cortez. And outside of that, um, all the rest of these Democrats. Oh, Sheldon Whitehouse. Sheldon Whitehouse is pretty good. Uh, I, you know, his presentations on the money affecting the Supreme Court, I think, are pretty compelling and, and strong stuff. And every uh, Katie Porter, good Democrat, uh, another good Democrat here. But you start it's a short list right like if we were going to put together this list we kind of come up with maybe 20 names of people that we'd actually feel pretty good about and the rest of this party especially among leadership up to and including joe biden and kamala harris leave a ton to be desired a ton to be desired um and I, I want to kind of end the show talking about that um joe biden not being up to the moment and let, let's not delude ourselves Joe Biden plans on running in 2024. I know this because Corinne Jean-Pierre, uh, the press secretary, uh, announced it not that long ago, about 10 days ago. Just to be clear, the president has said repeatedly he plans to run in 2024. It doesn't matter if he's falling off his bicycle. He is going to be trying to make another run at this thing. Um, to our chagrin here. Um, he's going to have to do a lot better than he's doing right now. He's currently sitting at 41%. Um, he, he's sitting at 41% among independents. Uh, actually, I'm sorry, a little under that. His approval rating right now sits at 41%. Among independents, Joe Biden's approval rating sits at around 38%, and that's trending downwards. Um, the, the chart I actually have up here um, was done about a week ago. With gas prices and inflation going the way it is, this is only getting worse for Joe Biden. Um, but the real problem here is not just this acute moment of inflation and high gas prices and all of these things. Um, if it was that simple, I, I would suggest just a mere course correction. Um, the issue with Joe Biden, uh, as I look at this chart here, is that Bidenism, the second it went from being something abstract to something in reality, and this is as, as early as january 20 like before he took office he had he had support from independence because trump had tried to start a coup and then immediately after he took office his support with independence dipped underneath his overall approval rating so he's always been bol bolstered by his base and not by independence and this is a huge problem for joe biden's approach to governance because as we know, and as I'm a pointed critic of, Bidenism is all about appeasing the center. Well, by that metric, he's not very good at that. Um, allow me to show you uh, what I'm looking at here. If we look at this chart here, right, you can see right at the beginning of the chart, um, okay, yeah, like he's at 60%. Again, Trump just to try to coup. So like, that's great. Uh, but 
Then immediately after, and this is like within weeks of him taking office, he's already dipping with independence. He quickly gets up there and like he's holding a line, but by June of the first year, it's gone. It's gone. Uh, This ethereal independence support, it's not there. Yes, you want independence, I don't know, close to 50% approval rating for you. But if you're going to have over 50% approval, it's got to come by having your base loving you and loving you in a long, long and strong way. And even his base is eroding. And you can continue to see that independent dip. Um, the big problem for Biden is that he doesn't have this tremendous gift for speaking to the independents. It's better than Donald Trump's. Ish, a little bit. Pretty crazy that two years in, considering Joe Biden has not attempted a coup yet, that Joe Biden's approval rating among independents is only a couple points higher than it was with Donald Trump. Um, you know, Trump sitting at, was sitting at 35% approval with independents. Biden's at 38% approval. And the economy is getting worse. Um, I guess worth noting here, uh, in, in terms of contrast, Donald Trump's approval rating is as bad as Joe Biden's approval rating. I, here's another way of thinking about this. Just, just, just for y'all to think of being a little hard on Biden, I want to offer a little bit of balance here. Also, just to like maybe temper Democrat, like like my my lefty friends too, a little bit here. When you look at the Trump chart, remember that like the Dow Jones was rolling super hard at this point. Like like at at this point, the economy was going like, or like not the economy, like the Dow Jones was humming at like 15%, 20% gains on the year. I mean, people were making huge portfolio gains. Um, You know, there, there were a lot of good things happening economically speaking at this point, like GDP and that sort of thing. And even with a humming kick ass economy, Trump was sitting at this point um, because he was that bad at being president. That being said, is it not an amazing testament that America is so short-minded that um, that like Biden is offering a middling presidency with economic factors that, to be real, are somewhat out of his control here. I mean, he's been framing this the exact wrong way, as I'm about to talk about here. But he's got economic factors that are out of his control here. And, and, and we, we still have him at about 41%. Um, uh, you know, here, here's Biden's problem, though. It, it, it is that everything he's doing is not strong. Um, I mean, the only thing he's strong on is marijuana. I mean, he's strong and wrong on marijuana. Like that, that, That's the problem here. I got to talk about this real quickly here. So I, I got to talk about this because... This week, Thailand, 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 like if you're my age, your whole life, you you always heard like, you know, don't go to Thailand, smoke pot, right? They're the first country in Asia to legalize marijuana for medical, not recreational use, but hailed as a big win for all stoners in Thailand. That's right. Thailand is now ahead of America when it comes to marijuana laws and you know you're going well what's new about this chris i know biden's been bad on this biden continues to be bad on this 
Biden continues to be bad on this. I looked into this because his polls suck right now. I'm like, well, what's going to change? Is he going to reconsider student loans and actually do the debt forgiveness thing? No. How about marijuana? Does he maybe reconsider on this? Public opinion polling on this would absolutely support him, and he could use a little goosing in the polls right now. Oh, no, 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 no. Despite repeated calls to stop penalizing staffers for being honest about past marijuana use, the Biden administration made it clear on Monday, this is June 7th, that people who want to even intern at the White House will still be required to disclose prior drug use, including any cannabis consumption that was legal under state law, and that they could be denied eligibility over it. Intern applicants who advance through the hiring process will have to fill out a security clearance form according to the new FAQ for the White House internship program. So, again, this is entirely like something they control and they're controlling it in a shitty way. Information submitted through that form that, quote, could affect eligibility includes past drug use, including marijuana, regardless whether the marijuana use was permitted under state law. Early in his administration, the Biden White House came under sharp criticism over reports of staffers were being terminated or otherwise penalizing, penalized for admitting to using marijuana as part of the background check process. So article leaves out an important point of fact. This is after they were told this wouldn't be a problem. They were the White House reversed course on this and then went after these people. Um, and Biden has long opposed the legalization of cannabis minutes after Chuck Schumer and colleagues unveiled a draft of marijuana legalization nationally last year. Jen Saki Bomb Saki, girl boss, reiterated that the president has not changed his position on maintaining federal prohibition. Uh, like the wholesale um, Biden mansion centrism is that although it betrays the political base, centrism is able to compensate for this with support from moderates. It is simply not true it simply is not working um and, and biden has to stop being on the wrong side of these issues and be stronger um and now i want to talk about a little bit further well just not on the social stuff biden is the last president um you know and or, or disinterested president as it were i gotta shift a little bit to foreign policy here which has become sort of my pet complaint on the guy because Though I sound a little bit hawkish, I, I, I think I'm making a case for sort of a, a sophisticated muscularity rather than a, like, let us spread democracy around the world sort of thing here. Um, Biden is woefully inconsistent on Geneva. And his, every episode, I feel like there's like a new update on how the Biden administration is being bad on Geneva. So... The Biden administration and like the world, basically, um, according to Ukrainian officials, has given about 10 percent of the aid they actually need. Um, and meanwhile, as Joe Biden has been rolling out new messaging this month, um, let's talk about some of that real quick. So his new messaging on the Ukraine conflict is this. We warned Zelensky of the invasion, but Zelensky didn't want to hear the warnings and because Zelensky was a sloppy shop, essentially, I'm connecting some dots here, that now gets us to Joe Biden saying on June 10th that the inflation is because of Putin's price hikes. Like he's framing inflation as Putin's price, right, price hikes. Putin is currently selling oil like around the world at $33 a barrel while like world prices hover around $100 a barrel. Um, but we're, we're dealing with Putin's price hikes here. 
Um, and it's kind of Zelensky's fault, too, if you had to listen to Biden, because Zelensky just didn't want to hear U.S. warnings. Oh, that sloppy shop he was. Um, boy, I, I got to stop right here. So at this point, if, if we're going to link inflation to the conflict in Ukraine, then beyond the moral imperative to defend Geneva against, you know, to defend Ukraine as in exercise of defending the Geneva Convention. This is an illegitimate, on any level, invasion of sovereign territory, of a sovereign nation, and, and that one nation does not have this right, let alone to rack up a literal Wikipedia article of war crimes, a literal Wikipedia article of war crimes, and that the United Nations, which is uh, conveniently housed in America, in New York City, uh, is actually kind of required to take some action on this, um, that the West is required to take some action on this if the United Nations won't, because after World War II, we became the defenders of Geneva. Are we good defenders of it? No, obviously not. We've been pretty bad at that. I'm being critical of Biden right now. I'm sure you can read any number of critiques about U.S. intervention abroad. We're not good at it. But rightly or wrongly, uh, we're the only ones who are going to defend Geneva. And I think Geneva is worth defending. I think this idea that you can't just invade another country is actually a really good idea worth fighting for. But beyond that, beyond that little hippy dippy sort of vision of the world, I suppose, um, if you're going to blame the economic woes of the United States, which are affecting every single American in a sharp and acute way at the gas pump, all the way to rent, all the way to the grocery store. Uh, now your moral imperative to act in terms of wrapping up the conflict in favor of the Ukrainians and against the Russians, uh, it's even more imperative. Uh, it, th this doesn't actually make things any better. Meanwhile, the administration is also messaging from Janet Yellen that the recession is not inevitable but it probably is inevitable and it would look smarter if they weren't saying we have the power to stop this while at the same time saying that this is putin's fault because if you have the power to stop this and this is putin's fault then who or what do we have to stop vlad putin oh by the way like democrats should be on board with this um I, obviously republicans will get squeamish about this um, but like Vlad Putin bad? I don't feel like that that was, uh, it should be a very hard sell for Democrats. Vlad Putin war criminal is not actually a controversial statement anymore. And anyone, uh, if anyone's like, oh, I don't really know about that. I, dude, that's nuts. It's not like the same people who would tell you that Dick Cheney is a war criminal at the drop of a hat. And he is, um, will also maybe go, I don't know about Putin being a war criminal. No, no, no. Like he totally is. Like if you think Dick Cheney should go before the Hague. Putin definitely should. He definitely should. This is way worse than Iraq. They're like not, there's no veneer of, they're not fighting terrorists. They're fighting like regular everyday Joe Blow shop owners and stuff here. Um, I, I, I know, I know the response to that, that last comment will be, but, but think about it here. Um, think about it here. Like, like this isn't even close. Like if Cheney and what Bush did was bad in Iraq, what is happening here in Ukraine? Way, 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 way worse and should be stopped. And if you're going to go and you're going to link the recession to the recession, which is not inevitable, which is in our control, but also is Putin's fault back to Putin. Let's just roll with it's Putin's fault. That probably makes more sense. 
uh, if we're going to link it back to Putin, then the imperative um, for the good of the country in an America first way now is we're stopping Putin. It would be basically we're pushing him back into his borders so that world economic affairs can resume normalcy. It's not even about defending Geneva, which is deeply cynical. Um, but, you know, honestly, if it means the Ukrainian people are free and able to live their lives in normalcy and Ukrainian children aren't living in fear of Russian tanks and Russian soldiers coming in and doing horrible things to them and their parents, um, I'm actually all for it. I, I you know, real politic me up, baby. Um, I, I'm looking for good things for Ukrainian children here. Um, this messaging is horrible. Uh, the Biden administration's messaging around this recession is horrible. This gas tax holiday isn't going to solve anything. Neither is going and renormalizing Mohammed bin Sultan or Salman. Um, it doesn't matter. Like he should be brought to heel. Uh, I'm sorry, bring him to justice. You know, oh, we want his oil. Put someone else in place. Like you know, uh, it, it, if we're gonna have the Saudis as a client state of the United States, that we we protected them, we bolstered them up, we propped them up. Uh, let us remind them that they work for us again am i a little cynical about this yeah yeah sure 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 but like we always help them out this is you know when i help my friend out and i'm in need i expect my friend to help me out i actually don't think that that's that hard um and frankly in given the generous disposition of the united states towards what mbs did to jamal khashoggi um, I think our posture on this should be quite forceful. Um, we cut you a line on this one. You need to give us a lot of oil. The price for the, bluntly, the price for the blood is oil. Man, I hate saying that, but if you don't do that, then you're even worse at doing these deals. If, if Biden just goes there and goes, please, Mr. MBS, please maybe give us some oil. Like, that's nuts. That's nuts. I'm sorry. The, the conversation, if it's going to, if you're talking to this guy at all, has to be, we can make these problems go away, but we got a big problem over here in America and you got to make that go away. You got to, you got to make yourself a national hero, buddy. It's going to cost you a lot of money. It's going to cost you a lot of money. You're probably going to wish you hadn't killed that journalist, but if you do this, we'll make that problem go away. Two systems of justice. Yup. Yup. Oil prices though. I mean, this is crushing people. It's crushing people. It's going to put people out of apartments. It's going to put people out on the street. Like what happened to Khashoggi was really bad, but either you bring Putin to heel or you bring MBS back into the fold uh, with, a, with a bargain. Cynical. Sure. Really cynical. Next week you just say it. I'm not thrilled about it, but what's the alternative, right? What's the alternative. Um, let the Ukrainian conflict roll on forever and give MBS a, a reach around. That's currently the track we're on here. And, and, and I want to be clear. It's not like the Republicans would be any better about this, right? Like their approach to this very obviously would be be even more obsequious towards MBS and just throw your hands up about the Ukraine conflict and let the article of war crimes in Ukraine go on even longer um, and extraordinarily half-acidly prepare charges for The Hague. I mean, maybe not at all. Maybe outsource that to other countries. Um, but like, it's not actually impossible to imagine the Republicans being not unlike Macron, sort of being like, well, let's not be too hard on Russia here, um, which is just nuts, just nuts. Um, speaking of just nuts, I'm going to end on this. The January 6th committee. 
I got to ask y'all a rhetorical question. And, I, you know, if you're on the Patreon here, feel free to respond to me on this. I actually, I would love to hear some responses on this. I, I might even weigh in on these on the next episode of Don't Worry About the Government if I get, if I get a few of these that are kind of interesting and provocative. Here's my question. What is the point of the January 6th committee? What are we doing here? Why are we doing this? Is this a campaign instrument? For scoring it as a campaign instrument, I do not understand the timetable of doing this in July and June instead of September and October, uh, especially given the nature of how congressional recesses work and like how it interrupts your rhythm and stuff. Like, much easier to do this after the August recess when like Congress has to come back in and actually work for a few weeks there in September and October. Um, but Beyond that, what is the point of this committee when we know that Donald Trump is not going to face criminal prosecution for this domestic terror attack on January 6th? And here's the problem with this committee, I, I suppose. If anything, if you watch it, it makes an unbelievably compelling case that what happened on January 6th was domestic terrorism by any definition of the word. The goals were explicitly political. Um, they were heavily organized. This was not some random riot or some spontaneous thing. No, 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 no. This was, this was obviously, uh, obviously a coordinated effort by many, including people in Congress, to set up a, an event on a day that Congress would be convened for explicit political purposes for the election. Like, that's why Congress is there, like, essentially the January 6th ceremony, uh, which is unfortunately not a ceremony, which is the crazy part about all this, right? Like, we're not talking about ending the Electoral College or any of this stupid ritual shit. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, we got to keep all the Electoral College to the stupid ritual. No, no, no. What we need to do is say that what happened was very bad. Um, this is a domestic terror event, and if you really believe that, then uh, it it needs to be something that results in not just you know five year pro you know criminal convictions or whatever, right? Like I, we were talking earlier in this episode about going to Guantanamo Bay and getting tortured. I'm not saying these guys need to go to Guantanamo, but you know, they send terrorists places. Um, these guys need to be going places where terrorists go because what they did was terrorism. Probably, frankly, I don't know everyone's rap sheet in Guantanamo, probably more explicitly terrorism against the United States government than a number of detainees in some of these places. Um, so you have this committee convened here uh, and we want it to be bipartisan. Um, but why? For, for what? For who? Uh, is it persuading independence? Doesn't look like it. And you're not seeing that in the polls. Is it moving the hearts of conservatives and MAGA and Republicans? Fuck no. They are gleefully celebrating that five of the 10 of these people who voted for impeachment are already out. Um, they are on the warpath against all of them. Liz Cheney is a pariah in her own party. These people are not winning the intellectual war inside the party. It's not like Ron DeSantis supports any of these actions. Uh, he's like Trump's biggest potential challenger. No, 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 no. It's like super clear that like these people are just like random outsiders. So like, what is a Liz Cheney doing? 
a Liz Cheney is essentially creating this bizarre middle ground of what happened on January 6th was very bad, but is also not consistent or even remotely about conservatism. It has nothing to do with conservatism that, that, that you have to understand that Trumpism and MAGAism and, and, and the, those Republicans, the, the Trump ones, many of whom are still in Congress, like Ted Cruz and McConnell covered Trump for most of the administration and didn't vote for him. I mean, okay, put them all aside. Put them the bad ones. The bad ones. They're very bad. Very bad. Maybe even terroristy. Probably terroristy. Um. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, at least uh, as it, I mean, this is the problem, right? Liz Cheney doesn't even call it terrorism. She calls it thug violence. Thug violence. It's terrorism. It's terrorism. What Cheney does is create this carve out. She keeps saying that all of this is basically independent of good Republicanism, but it's not. It's not. Donald Trump went from being a birther, getting on Fox News all the time, doing the birtherism thing, winning the Republican nomination. Uh, Republicans voted for the guy. That's how he won the nomination, winning the presidency, getting more votes the second time around from Republicans than he did the first time around. Uh, I mean, this guy, uh, he is the Republican Party. His voters also vote for the quote unquote good Republicans who don't make some huge point of distinction to Donald Trump. And anytime it ever mattered, whether it was the Mueller report or after January 6th or withholding aid to Ukraine um, and basically strong arming Ukraine um, to that, like unless they sort of like stonewalled the Mueller report, they wouldn't have aids and weapons that they need to fight against Russia in a potential conflict with Russia. Good thing that never happened for the Ukrainians. Um, that those Republicans, they're still good. They're good Republicans. And that there's not some sort of through line between MAGAism, what Republicans became during the Obama years, um, which was a new level of frothy a new level of frothy led by people like Liz Cheney, who would go on air and defend birtherism on a regular basis. Liz Cheney, who as recently as last year, said that she still would not support gay marriage for her gay sister. That Liz Cheney, that that like th this conservatism that a person like Liz Cheney supports um, is this sort of conservatism is like an intellectually consistent and good one that's worth saving. It's not. It's not. You start there to get to MAGA. MAGA, you know, it's a gateway drug. That's how you get to MAGA. Um, and, and the problem with this, if you, if you don't actually need to look any further than some of these witnesses, the good Republicans that the Democrats are like lifting up here. Um, Rusty Bowers. Rusty Bowers. <laughs> okay. Arizona Republican calls push to overturn 2020 election juvenile. Wow, that sounds pretty good. Sounds like Rusty did a good thing here. Oh, he was a courageous Republican doing the thing that he should do, which is call balls and strike on election, right? Then he goes, if he's the nominee, Trump, if Trump was up against Biden, I'd vote for Trump again. This is after he said that what Trump did was unconstitutional. This is to say that Republicans can even acknowledge that a one of their guys can do unconstitutional stuff and they'll still vote for them. These are the good ones. These are the good conservatives we're saving. They're not worth saving. None of them are. So like, why are Jamie Raskin and all of these other Democrats so hell-bent on trying to save and rehabilitate the Deborah Burks is the world. I saw Maloney earlier today talking to Burks going, well, if they had just listened to you instead of Scott Atlas, would things have been good? No, 
Of course not. We all know what Deborah Burks was. The only thing she cared about was her damn scarf collection. Uh, she loved her scarves, but she was absolutely feckless. Feckless. Rehabilitating her. Ridiculous. Um, Mike, Jamie Raskin, whoever was like, oh, I loved his impeachment hearing. Oh, he did a really great job during the impeachment hearings. He's sitting here going, Mike Pence was a hero for resisting, quote, pressure campaigns and coercive efforts. Mike Pence did nothing. All he did was go and do the ceremony. But, like, he didn't actually blow the whistle on how bad it was. He didn't inform the American people that Donald Trump was going to attempt something like this. And you know that his team knew. They had information and they withheld it. This is not a laudable action. This is not a good thing. Uh, this is not like, why would the Democrats be trying to save this? I, and, and that's the problem here with the January 6th committee. That like, we're rehabilitating Republicans who aren't worth being rehabilitated. We are trying to create some sort of intellectual carve out for the, the reasonable Republicans. Biden also has liked to do this as well. Um, where he calls McConnell and Cornyn the reasonable Republicans, even though there's no clear metric for what being reasonable even is to Democrats. Like, I'm sorry, uh, to me, reasonable like, like goes out the door if you are in Congress and you're a sitting senator and you watch the events of January 6th and you decide that that was not domestic terrorism, and that Donald Trump should not be impeached for encouraging and fostering a domestic terror attack. The, like removed from office and disbarred from running again. Um, reasonable goes out the door at that point. That, that's all there is to it. And the boomercrat leadership, Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Jim Clyburn, uh, and even like the, the sort of late Xers like your Jamie Raskins and your Kamala Harris's and stuff, they just don't get it. They just don't get it. Um, we need long, and what, what, that and that the, the those younger ones are what alarm me because we do need younger leadership, but like we're going to need younger still than even like Raskin and Harris's cohort because they also are not up to this moment. I said I support a primary challenge on the last episode of Joe Biden. I still do. Um, it's got to be the right type of primary challenge. I want to be clear. Like, it, it can't just be like socialism in the USA or something like that. It's got to be around, you know, you aren't taking things seriously enough. Uh, and, and, and that has to be the Supreme Court. That the Supreme Court needs to be expanded. That, like, you can't actually let the Supreme Court run unchecked. It has to be on marijuana legalization. It has to be on student loans, um, immigration reform. Like, it's got to be on concrete, pointed policy things or even rhetorical things that Biden can singularly take action on. Biden, yes, Biden can't change the balance of the court. I'm aware of that. And not on his own. Although he could nominate people. There's actually no reason he can't. Um, it, he can't do it on his own. But he can at least start the messaging on this and move the party discourse around this. And he actively chooses to push against this in the same way that Pelosi said, I will not support an expansion of the court bill. Um, I mean, she, she makes it really clear where she stands. Um, someone needs to be moving these people. Uh, a primary challenge against Joe Biden, if there's going to be one, has to focus on this. A primary challenge around Joe Biden also has to focus on fecklessness when it comes to responding to January 6th. Not just because I obviously care about it, but also because 
who we're trying to win over here are not disaffected lefties and progressives and stuff who are all who are really trying to win over here in this primary challenge are Democrats who are uneasy about Biden and they know it like between the recession and some of his policy disposition like there's actual squishiness here he's weak he is weak um but you've got to hit the Democrats the, the libs the libs the annoying libs the the ones who are like kind of weird on stuff um you gotta hit them where they care and like they care about Mullery stuff I mean I care about Mullery stuff but you know some lefties don't um they do if you're trying to win them over you got to talk about this January 6th thing that like Biden and his team aren't taking this seriously enough that like Merrick Garland as an AG needs to go like actually Biden needs to ask for Merrick Garland's resignation and put in someone who's got a little bit more muscle underneath them based in the wake of January 6th because his because Garland's not up to the task um like that's where this has to go. It has to actually service lib reservations about Biden beyond just his obvious failings on progressive and lefty things that like, let's be real. He never said he was going to be these things. So it's not like he's lying to us. He just sucks on them, which is a harder argument. It's not hard, hard to argue. He betrayed us. He didn't betray us. He told us, I'm going to punch you in the face when it comes to M4A and weed. And he did. And he did. I want the punching to stop. But he didn't lie to me about that. I, I got, I had time to brace for it. Um, he could stop punching as much. You know, he doesn't have to punch. But but like, he never lied that he was going to do that. So it's a, it's, it's a little bit different an argument to the lib base where well, they'll be like, well, you know, Biden never said that he was going to do anything on weed. Or, Biden, you know, Biden never said blah, blah, blah. Biden never said blah, blah, blah. Um, you need to be able to hit him on certain things and where we need to be able to get him on is that this whole like civility bullshit and stuff doesn't work because these Republicans are too. You insert your negative adjective here. Like I'm actually going to leave that one open to you, um, but you need to speak to that core fear of Democrats that they know and that you know uh, the more progressive person who's trying to encourage people to move over to this, that in their guts, Biden and the Democrats aren't taking the Republicans seriously enough because these Republicans, uh, like, look at the Texas state Republican platform here. Um, look at what the Supreme Court is doing. They are coming for Miranda. They're coming for Obergefell. They are coming for Roe versus Wade. Um, they absolutely would keep prohibition going. Um, they might even expand out marijuana prohibition if they, if they thought they could. Um, th these Republicans are worse than the way Pelosi and the Kumbaya Democrats make them out to be. And we all know this. And we all know this. And that that's scary. And we need to stop them from getting office again in 2024. It's got, it, there, there's this, like, you, you got to mirror the concerns of the people you're trying to persuade here. But I think this persuasive conversation needs to occur. Um, and, and I think, I think we need to start getting real about what Biden isn't. Um, and what he isn't is a good president. He's not, he's not, he's not doing a good job from the economic front to, you know, doing fourteen hundred and said two thousand dollars for relief. Um, declaring mission accomplished on COVID. Um, last year, a year ago, before the biggest surge yet. Um, fucking blowing it when it comes to the invasion of Ukraine. Going and giving MBS a reach around to try to get some oil, and he won't even get the oil 
Like, I mean, that's the, you know, that's the big problem. He's not even get the inflation relief watching inflation blow up on his watch here and, and coming up with the dumbest possible messaging on it. Um, and not doing anything on student law. He's not doing a good job. I, I, you know, there, there are some other things you could cite that are good, but you can tally up some of those good things and you still don't get to net good. And that's what I'm trying to say here. Um, and I, you know, look, I, I, I know who the audience is. There's, there's a few people who hate listening to the show. There are a few Republicans who are interested in my weirdo progressive take, but like largely speaking here, we're all like lib lefty types here. We gotta be real here. Like in, in the circle, like it's just us right now. This sucks. This sucks. This isn't good. <laughs> like this isn't going well. It hasn't been going well. This has basically sucked for the last two years and we all know it and there has to be a means of redress towards this democratic leadership and something has to change with them because they're not just going to change themselves something from the outside has to change them i don't know what that is i don't know who's going to do that um aoc is not old enough to do it um and as you can see, they're gonna, the worst part about the centrist establishment is they'll even take help from the devil to keep their power. They are uh, they're like the Centauri getting help from the shadows. Uh, Mr. Morden. OK, I've been watching too much Babylon 5. Um, and maybe that's that's getting into my head here. All right, the President Clark uh, seeking help from the shadows too. watch Babylon 5. It's really good. That's going to do it for this installment of Don't Worry About the Government. But wait, there's more for Patreon subscribers. If you go over to patreon.com slash DWATG, a buck a show is all I ask. And this month for Patreon subscribers, there is an entire extra episode of Don't Worry About the Government that I taped just today on Friday, June 24th, 2022, a day that will very much live in infamy in America for a long time here reacting to the overturning of Roe versus Wade. So I know I talked a little bit about it on the show here. I don't get back into the story of Brooke Alexander. I get into some more personal stuff. So if you're looking for something that's maybe a little bit more personal, uh, my thoughts on this, it's free flowing. I go for about 75 minutes. I talk politics, but there's live stories on either end of the show. I rather liked it when I listened back to it, but it's a little bit different from what I do on the main show here. But for those of you who want more, there is more to be had over at patreon.com slash DWATG. I will be back again sooner rather than later because uh, the feedback on the monologue show here among patrons was also very strong. I asked them questions. So for those of you who support the show, thank you for the feedback. Uh, I guess uh, we're gonna need to do some more monologue shows here. We'll still have guests. I, you know, I love my people, but uh, I think we're cool to do this monologue show thing every so often. You can follow me on Twitter for the time being at DWATG. I mean, it once Musk takes it over, I really just feel icky about staying on there. Plus, I think he's going to do weird things. I, I, I like, you know, privacy sharing and stuff. Like, you're not going to want to have this app on your phone. I, ju I just have a hunch it's going to be a real icky app to keep using. 
So I need to figure out if I'm going over to Instagram or, you know, are we doing Discord or how, how we all stand connected. But it, but it probably won't be Twitter forever. But for the time being, at DWATG on Twitter is where you can find me. And then, I don't know, if you've got ideas of where best for me to roost up, you know my level of engagement with social media pick a place i'm gonna be at that one place and we'll, we'll figure out where that place can be uh maybe, maybe i pulled the patrons on that too uh sub up over at patreon.com slash dwatg a buck a show is all i ask and your support of the show makes the show worth doing um and for the people who have been supporting the show and subbing up even as the show has been kind of like a little bit slow over the last couple of months i i i appreciate more than the last couple of months last you know several months here i I just needed to slow it down to once a month as i was expanding out my professional career and, and trying to move into another stage of my life but it's been so cool to get the uh, level of reception over uh, like asking about the monologue shows and getting such a strong level of feedback from people it, it reminded me like oh yeah there are like people who want these shows out here so let's do this more often okay like i miss you uh, hopefully you miss me too uh anyways i hope you have a great day and uh, i know Times are bleak, but I guess what I want to end instead of the normal McLaughlin end, I'm going to end with this. I'm going to end with this. There are times where there are laws that are made that are unjust all throughout history, all throughout history. And what good people of conscience do is they throw their bodies up against them and they try to fight for a better future. You've seen it in history books and black and white photos. You thought it could never be like that. You hoped it wouldn't be like that, but it is like that now. And we just, all of us who give a damn, have to do our part. We can't say, well, you know, cooler heads will prevail or anything like that. We have to actively do stuff until until there's a safe future for everyone. Everyone. That's all I got this time. Talk soon.